a special program note for this episode of Leaders on Leadership. Early last fall, we recorded the episode with President Clarence Wyatt of Monmouth College. In the course of our conversation, we reflected on COVID-19 and the challenges for colleges and universities. This episode of Leaders on Leadership is dedicated to the memory of a beloved member of the Monmouth College faculty and staff, head swim coach, Tom Burrick, who died during the course of the fall owing to complications of COVID-19. The costs of COVID-19 across American higher education have been significant in loss of people who've made great differences in their lives um, uh, throughout the course of their careers. We are reminded of the loss of Coach Burrick in this episode, and it is dedicated in his honor on behalf of President Clarence Wyatt and the Monmouth College community. Hello, and thank you for listening. I'm Jay Lemons. Welcome to Leaders on Leadership, brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. The purpose of our podcast is to share the stories of the people and the forces that have shaped leaders in higher education and to learn more about their thoughts on leadership in the academy. I'm delighted today to be joined by my friend, Dr. Clarence Wyatt. Clarence, the president of Monmouth College in Illinois, a post he's held since 2014. He came to Monmouth from his alma mater, Center College in Kentucky, where he served as the Chief Planning Officer and Special Assistant of the President. After a long and distinguished career in the classroom, um, Clarence is a historian, holds a PhD in history, and is a, um, a specialist, a scholar in America's involvement in the Vietnam War. He's also served as a Fulbright Fellow and is actively engaged in a number of boards in the service of higher education associations and civic organizations. Clarence, your six years at Monmouth have seen the college experience a, a tremendous period of transformation and change and plenty of challenges. Um, we're now in the midst of, uh, of a historic challenge presented by the pandemic. Um, I was really pleased and delighted to see Monmouth held up and you and um, your leadership team featured in the Chronicle um, a few weeks ago about the way small colleges are finding their way through and are seeking to be sustained and to survive in these unprecedented times. I want to tell you now um, uh, how much I appreciate the work that you and all of your colleagues and the incredible board of trustees that you have at Monmouth do in terms of of furthering a distinctive mission and really happy to have you on our podcast. So welcome, Clarence. Well, thank you, Jane. Thanks for the kind words. That means a lot coming from you, as you know. So, Well, it is, um, it, it, it really is a, a special pleasure. And there are, you know, Monmouth is one of those places that uh, is far too often um, uh, referred to as a hidden gem. And uh, we need more of these gems to be more widely understood. That's for certain. You know, one of the goals for this podcast is we get a chance to learn a little bit more about what makes up the people who are the leaders in the academy. And I'd love for you to talk a bit about some of the people, the events, and the opportunities that really have forged you into the person and leader that you are today. 
we could be here for a long time if I try to, to talk about about everybody, but I'll, I'll do a few. Uh, it, of course, starts with my parents. Uh, I was not only uh, first generation college, I was first generation high school. Uh, my parents' formal educations didn't go past the eighth grade, but they were two of the smartest people I ever knew and uh, both valued education very, very much. And so that uh, certainly starting with them and I was uh, fortunate, I'm the, the, the third of three and my older brother and, and sister both uh, were very supportive of me all the way through. And I was blessed like a lot of people are to have great teachers, great counselor, guidance counselors all the way through uh, elementary, secondary, college, graduate school as well. And had wonderful mentors uh, in the four presidents whom I served. Um, but it's I, really the sort of the fundamental thing is that from, from my earliest memory, learning and the power of learning to shape a life have been there. Wonderful. Um, a native of the state of Kentucky? Yes. What town? Hopkinsville, which is in Western Kentucky, in far Western Kentucky, the uh, Pearl City of the Penny Rile, as it likes to call itself. So, so it, was a, it was a very big deal to find your way all the way over to Danville, Kentucky then. How did you choose center? Uh, I think in some ways it, it chose me. The, uh, yeah. uh, I was really kind of guided that way. Uh, the high school I went to, had sent a pretty steady stream of really strong students to center over the years. Uh, one of the most prominent businessmen uh, in, in my hometown was a man named Galladay Lamott, uh, universally respected. He was not only a center alumnus, but a center trustee. So he was an influence. Uh, my senior guidance counselor's daughter uh, went to a center as well. And my two closest friends were also interested in center. So in some ways it was, uh, 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 it was, it was the only place that I really, really looked at. Um, well, I, I, I love your answer. Um, and I think it's relevance is not lost, even though we have incredible technology and tools um, that are much more sophisticated for the college search. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, you had people in your life who were encouraging you on the path of higher ed and were encouraging you on a path towards a particular institution. And no doubt that continues to be critical um, in helping people find their way to Monmouth College and Monmouth, Illinois as well. Um, that, uh, you know, it shows me um, and that sense of, uh, of there's a place here and, um, and I, can, I can grow and learn here. So. Uh, that's an important and valuable uh, lesson right off the bat. So yeah. thank you. Oh, I want to now turn in, in a slightly different way, Clarence. And uh, uh, I like to talk about what makes a good leader. And by good, I don't mean grade B. I really mean virtuous, mm -hmm. effective, and successful leadership. What's that look like for you? Oh gosh, there's lots of ways you could answer that. I think well, well, certainly the ability to achieve the goals for the organization, uh, to, to achieve what needs to be achieved on behalf of the of the institution or the organization. But 
there are a variety of ways to get there and, and what is most successful, uh, most effective in the long term really is your is your first word, virtuous. Uh, the I think an effective leader has to be honest, uh, honest with him or herself, has to be honest with the individuals uh, whom they serve. Uh, honesty can is is always good, but often not easy. Um, so that's that's certainly one. I think you have to hit uh, the right balance of humility and confidence, uh, and those are the, that's that can be a, a, a movable line sometimes, depending on the situation. But I, people yeah. naturally gravitate to people who are confident in themselves and confident in the organization that they serve. Uh, but you also have to be, um, you also have to be humble about it. I think, you know, one of the, uh, one of our mutual dear friends, John Roush, uh, always liked to say that he took his job very seriously, but he did not take himself in the job too seriously. And I think that's a, that's a great way to, to think about that. Um, and I, and, and I think a capacity for joy is essential. And I think it's uh, uh, even more important now. Uh, the, uh, it, it is easy to get mired down in the irritants and the challenges and the, the negativity of a particular day. And certainly you, you can't be a Pollyanna. Uh, you have to be clear-eyed uh, in any sort of leadership role. But you've got to maintain, I think you have to maintain a capacity for joy. Otherwise you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to burn everybody around you out. Well said, well said. When you're pulling together a team and you know, one of my fundamental convictions is that leadership is not an individual sport. It's a team sport. Right. What are you looking for in the leaders that you pull in to be a part of your team? Well, one of them is that, is that capacity for joy. I mean, I want people that I enjoy being around and people who see the fun and, and what it is that we're engaged in. Not sometimes people have asked me, well, do you enjoy? And, and usually this question will come from friends on the board. Sometimes it'll happen. So what, are you still having fun? Do you still enjoy being president? Uh, of the college, and I say, I do almost every day. <laughs> the, uh, uh, so you, you know, it's that you have to be able to maintain that focus. So certainly, that's one of the elements that would be in there. Look for people who are smarter than me. Uh, I mean, that's uh, uh, you want people who who are smart, who can think, uh, who and who are willing to say, you know, Clarence, maybe there's another way to look at that. Uh, who are willing to willing to do that? that that's certainly part of it. But then people who share all those other all those other attributes as well: uh, honesty and passion, and a, a good combination of humility and confidence. And uh, I've been I've been blessed to have I've glanced over at my conference table. I'm blessed to have a great group of people who sit around, who figuratively sit around that table with me. So. Indeed, indeed. You know, um, a part of the folks that we know who are going to 
benefit from leaders on leadership are um, participants in AALI's leadership development programs, people who want um, uh, to know and, and, and really seek advice um, from people like you. And I'd love for you to offer any advice you have for those who aspire to leadership. Oh gosh, again, it could be, you know, we could be here all day for that. I, I think a quick reaction would be is to always try to maintain an open mind and an open heart. Uh, it, it can be easy in a leadership position to become isolated, even in a small setting like a, like the institutions that you and I have, have been fortunate to serve. Uh, it can be easy to become isolated and, and sometimes it's the pressures of the day that do that. Yeah. Uh, to, to, as much as possible, be, be willing to listen to other people, to make yourself try to see other points of view, even if in the end you still disagree with that point of view uh, and are still, still believe that the, that the path you, you have is the, the proper path for the institution at the moment. To, to keep that um, to keep that open mind, and the other part of it is to is to keep an open heart, too, because it, it I mean, the reality is that these are, these are times of great tension, sometimes conflict. Uh, certainly, oh, they, they, these are times of tension. These are times of conflict uh, in our country and, and so many different venues at so many different levels, uh, and the the uncertainty and the fear that many people are feeling now, it makes it easy to, to, to shut yourself off from other people. It makes it easy -er to, um, uh, to, to hunker down and to not be willing to engage with people. And, um, it, it, that, that does nobody any good. It does, you no good as an individual. It just, it, and it certainly does the organization that you're, you're serving no good. So, uh, uh, one of the, I, I do a Godspeed at uh, at at commencement for our our graduating seniors, and I ask them to close their eyes and think back over their their time at the college. And uh, one of the things I, I say is to I, I ask them to to think about uh, your best friend, and then I ask them to think about the person you had to work hardest to like. And uh, I think Love. that's a that's a that's a good guiding thing that you you we're all human beings, but if you're in a leadership role, you sometimes have to pull yourself out of yourself and be able to watch yourself as you as you engage. And so, you know, uh, maintaining an open mind and an open heart are two of the best pieces of advice I could give. You know, I really appreciate your comments about. Um, the current days. And, and it does make me think about the scholarly expertise that you have about um, another period of extraordinary tension in American life. And um, you know, I, I, I'd love to hear you just maybe reflect a bit on that and think about what lessons from you know the 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 mid '60s to the mid '70s, really um, um, apply today, and and how might that inform, especially the path of leaders? 
I, uh, I think in, in a couple of ways, I think again, kind of going back to this idea of being able to see things from others' viewpoints, um, the, to not be closed off to different perspectives. One of the things that, that led the United States into the tragic involvement that it had in Vietnam was uh, an inability or unwillingness of people in leadership positions to entertain other, other viewpoints. And without getting into a lesson about American, invol you know, American involvement in Vietnam, there was a group of people in leadership positions in the late 50s, early and mid 60s, saw the world in a particular way. And you know, we're all creatures of our experiences. But until too late, not enough of them were willing to entertain a different perspective on the situation. Uh, an, another lesson is, is it, it, that plays out of that is intellectual courage, intellectual and moral courage. And it takes, it takes a lot of a courage to admit that you were wrong about something. And it takes a lot of courage to then act on that, that acknowledgement. Um, while at the same time, carving a productive uh, path forward. So I think that would be certainly be one of them. And the other lesson that I would draw is that the, again, to not, not be a, Pollyanna, but that even with all of the work that is undone, and even with the today, on so many fronts, in so many aspects of American society, uh, and as often as it seems we may be taking one step forward and two steps back, that I believe in, in, in history as a process of progress, uh, and that fitful inexact, indirect, swerving as it may be, that people of good heart and good intent can make a difference. And we're blessed to be in a setting where we help those people find themselves. Thank you. Um, I am sure I will owe apologies to Martin Luther King, but it's good to hear um, someone um, of maturity and wisdom um, say that you believe that the, the path, um, uh, that the, you know, the, the light bends towards um, justice um, uh, continues to hold even in these really challenging times. Yeah. The I, arc I, of the universe bends towards justice. Yeah. I, I certainly believe that because I don't want to entertain the alternative. Here, here. Here, here. So, you know, talk about about the critical challenges facing leaders today in higher ed, and and think about whether maybe reflect a bit on whether that requires new or different skills and knowledge and and different abilities even. Oh, well, I mean, gosh, the challenges are all the 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 obvious ones. There's the immediate ones, of course, of dealing with the pandemic. There's the sort of midterm ones of of dealing with social change, and we're at a uh, again, this is one of the things that is reminiscent of the 60s, that we are at a, a, a particularly concentrated moment of social change. Right now, we're in the midst of a, of a very divisive presidential election. Uh, you know, there's, so there's, you know, all, all, all of those circumstances are there to greater or lesser degrees at any moment. Obviously, there's the, the, uh, the, I won't say existential challenges, but in some cases they are existential challenges that confront American higher education today in terms of uh, declining demand, uh, the uh, 
financial challenges that come with that, the ability to remain true to a, a, a timeless mission, but to present it in a way that is engaging and relevant to society and engaging and relevant to young people. Uh, all of those, all of those things are, are there. So again, I think that I'm not sure that there's any new skills or, or attributes that you need to develop, pardon me, to, uh, to address those. I just think that all of the, all of the standard ones become more important. I do think that one that is, uh, that is particularly important at this moment, it's always important, particularly important at this moment, is the ability to continue to learn. I mean, that's one of the, the things that we, that we all say we believe in as a, a, a part of our missions is to prepare young people to be, to be lifelong learners. And that's, a, that's something we got to hold up for ourselves uh, as leaders, as members of any community, and particularly a, an academic community. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, and I, I, I tend to believe that, uh, I think similarly to what you just expressed, that um, you know, um, um, good leaders probably could rise um, in any era. Mm -hmm. uh, and you could, you could pull some of the finest of leadership out of different places in our history and plop them down. And they're likely distinguished as well. And, and, you know, at the same time, um, uh, you know, you now are more of an expert on, uh, on, on uh, COVID-19 testing and uh, pandemic management than you could have ever imagined. Um, so you've had to continue to learn and, or to, uh, you know, to be thinking about change management and, uh, and, and how we, um, you know, really push organizations along. But uh, a lot of those core competencies are, uh, uh, Across the, the span of time, I think. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, moving to um, uh, what we call a little bit of a of a lightning round, and um, um, you know, I'll I'll probe you further if I if uh, if if um, if I'm moved, uh, but I'd love to have you uh, provide maybe short answers to a, a whole series of of questions. Um, and the first one is one I know you've given a lot of thought to um, because. Uh, in, in some ways um, uh, drawn out of work that we have shared um, as a part of why I wanted to probe it with other leaders. And that is, tell our audience who most influenced you. And you made reference earlier, but I, and I'll let you go back and dig a little deeper if you'd like. Well, and it'll be more than one person to answer, but I'll do it quickly. Uh, uh, certainly my parents, as Take I said time. before. Uh, my older brother, uh, who's a, uh, uh, just one of the, the smartest, most ethical people that you can imagine, a combat veteran of Vietnam. Um, it's because of him that I would develop this interest in Vietnam and just an extraordinary person, uh, always a role model for me. Uh, uh, lots of great teachers at, at Center College, but Charles Lee, uh, for whom I worked as a student assistant for two years, was uh, uh, going to medical school, uh, when the Korean War uh, broke out, dropped out, enlisted in the Marine Corps, was severely wounded in the last couple of weeks of the Korean War. Uh, wasn't able to go back to med school, but became a history professor. Uh, suffered pain the rest of his life, uh, but was just such, uh, as a person and as a, a teacher and a scholar, just such a, a great support for me. Uh, 
George Herring, who is my dissertation director in, uh, in graduate school, the leading authority on American involvement in Vietnam, and just a great friend and a great role model. And um, the four presidents for whom I worked at Center, um, certainly each in, in their own way. And, and as, as you will appreciate, because you know her, my wife, Lovi. Um, so, uh, you know, we could go into a long conversation about each one of those influences, but lots of other people there, but those are the ones I'd offer up right now. Thank you very much. Fondest memory of your own undergraduate experience. Well, I think the statute of limitations has run out on all those, but the, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I can point to a million of them, but I tell you, one of them, there was a day center had a six week winter term then, uh, and you took two courses at a time and it was the winter term of my sophomore year. I was taking a course that had, you probably couldn't call it this now, but called ideas and men. And it was based on a book by, a uh, scholar named Crane Brinton, who taught, who was a professor of ancient and modern history at Yale. And it's just this great sort of intellectual history that was the, that he wrote that uh, the course was based on. And I was also taking a, a literature course, and I was taking a biography course, an American biography course at the same time. And there was a day when what we had been talking about in the Ideas and Men course clicked with what we had talked about in the American biography course. And I, you just had this realization that, you know, this stuff all does talk to each other. And that was just like a light bulb going on. So that, that's, a uh, that's among my uh, fondest dignified memories of uh, my time as an undergraduate. Yeah. May the statue of limitations never run out on that one. Um, that's, yeah. uh, that, um, that, uh, Thank you. Um, you know, um, I don't know how many people actually have the gift of one of those epiphanies of ha. Uh, and so thank you for sharing. Yeah. Okay. I'll put, put you on the spot and, 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 and a little more direct way. Um, you know, what are your favorite school colors? Uh, white and crimson and gold and white. <laughs> well, no equivocation in that answer. That's it. <laughs> Those are the two. How about a favorite campus tradition at some place you served? I can I can give you I can give you a couple uh, here at Monmouth. Uh, I'll give you a, a couple at Monmouth and then one at, at Center. Uh, at Monmouth, of course, we're the Fighting Scots, and that Scottish tradition is is very powerful for us, and it really does become a great sort of unifying thing for everybody on campus, no matter what background you come from. Uh, and so the playing of the bagpipes, it really gets, uh, gets everybody, especially when we have football weekends, the, the pipe band leads the football team into the stadium and the football team comes in They're hold these guys are holding hands with each other. And that's such a great moment. One of the other, our favorite traditions the, for Loby and me as well here is that, uh, during finals, during fall semester finals, we deliver cookies to all of the residence halls, uh, uh, love to do that and then at center one of my favorite ones was uh we would uh, there would be one night during fall and spring finals where the faculty and staff would would cook breakfast late at night cook breakfast and serve breakfast to the students and that was always fun wonderful clarence if you hadn't worked in higher education where do you think you might have been what might you have done what was the road not taken 
Well, you know, it would be easy to say law school because I had thought about law school for a long time. And in fact, up until the end of my sophomore year at center, I thought about going to law school. But, you know, I think in reality, the, the two that, that were out there other than academia, one of them was the military. Uh, the, I had, I graduated from high school in 74 and I had unsolicited an appointment to West Point. Uh, and my combat veteran of Vietnam brother, uh, even though he was and is tremendously proud of his service, uh, did not think it would be a good idea to go into the military at that moment. And so, but I ended up doing, doing some stuff uh, at West Point and years later. So still that, that always had been out there. There was a time after I, uh, uh, I, I had a beginning to my graduate school career that I uh, interrupted for a while just because I was realized I was tired of school and I was about to join the Marines at that point. And then another mutual friend of ours, Rick Nam, came along and hired me to, to work in development at Center. So that, that certainly would have been one, but uh, journalism would have been the other thing that would have been really attractive to me. Uh, journalism in, in some way. Very good. Thank you. Now, one of our traditions here um, is we like to close by asking our guests to share with our listeners a bit about the distinctive qualities, if you will, the organizational DNA that make Monmouth a place that has such a special call on your heart. It, yeah, I, I think we all claim, especially institutions like the ones that you and I served, uh, smaller residential liberal arts institutions, liberal arts and sciences institutions, we all, we all claim to and, I, and all have claim, legitimate claim to uh, being places that are, that are really transformative in the lives of young people. Uh, that I was blessed to go to and work at a place that, where that was fundamental. It is to an exceptionally powerful degree at Monmouth. There's a, a, a phrase that has been in long usage at Monmouth that, uh, that Monmouth describes itself as being a place that gives students a long runway. And I, I love that metaphor. Uh, so it, it, that is the seeing that here uh, was among the many things, but it was among the most powerful things that attracted Loby and me here. Fabulous. Clarence, thank you so much for joining us on Leaders on Leadership. We're really glad to have had you and appreciate you sharing your story and your insights and wisdom about leadership with us. Okay, uh, listeners, yeah, thank you very much. Listeners, we welcome your suggestions and your thoughts. Uh, for others, we should feature in upcoming segments. You can send those suggestions to leadershippodcast at academicsearch.org. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find your podcasts, as well as on the Academic Search website. Leaders on Leadership is brought to you by Academic Search and the American Academic Leadership Institute. Together, our mission is to support colleges and universities during times of transitions and through leadership development activities that serve current and future generations of leaders in the academy. Our guest today has been Clarence Wyatt. Again, Clarence, thank you so very much for joining us. Right, thank you, Jay.